Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 156, week 156, volume 156, number fucking 156. Hang on guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Matt of Cryptopsy and also of Vox and Hops podcast and that will be coming up later in the show. Kick off with a bit of feedback, a bit of questions, a bit of what's been going on. A few messages this week asking, where's album of the week? Where's single of the week? It's fucking coming, guys. Any episode now, it will be back in the show on a regular basis. The only reason there's been a delay is all the chaos. Things are only just settling down. I haven't had the chance to really consume any music yet, but never fear. Any week now, we are coming back. I might say next week, but then maybe that's too much of a tease. But within the next two weeks, we will have album of the week and single of the week coming back. The other thing I've got to say this week, guys, help us out with a share on your social media. So if you enjoyed this episode or you enjoyed one of the previous episodes, help us out, share it on your Facebook, your Instagram or your Twitter, tag The Mosh Zone, help us spread the word about The Mosh Zone. All those little things help us get out to more listeners and we are forever, ever grateful when you guys help us out. Enough of the ramblings, enough of the jibber-jabber. Let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down with Matt of Cryptopsy and also of Vox and Hops podcast. First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So Matt joined Cryptopsy in 2007-ish. He's done two albums and a couple of EPs so far. Who are Cryptopsy, I hear you asking if you're unaware. They are Canadian tech death metal icons and legends. As I mentioned, Matt also does a podcast. It's called Vox and Hops Podcast. It is chats and conversations around heavy metal and craft beers. That show, that podcast is iconic, very well known. So for me, Matt, He's a bit of a legend in the game. He's someone I look up to. He's someone I look towards with what they do. And a absolute mind-blowing thing was before our conversation, Matt even told me that he knows of the Mosh Zone, which is mind-bending for me. It was absolutely fucking phenomenal to hear that. Little Aussie show, based out of the Sunshine Coast in Australia, is known by one of the biggest in the heavy metal podcast game. So that was great to hear. This conversation dips into so many avenues, so many little storylines. I love, love this conversation. I really hope you guys enjoy it too. That chat with Matt is coming up now. So not a heavy band, but a band of any ilk. Do you remember being exposed to at a young age and becoming obsessed with? For me, it was Aerosmith. I don't know why. We're the same age. We're both 38. And for me, it was Aerosmith because they're all over TV. What was your band that exposed you to music being in existence? Oh, for myself, uh, I was very lucky. My, my father 
was uh, is still and a huge avid metalhead. So so not like an extreme metalhead. He he was into Metallica in the Black era. So that Black album played a lot in my dad's car. But uh, honestly, like the early early discoveries that I have really vivid memories of of wanting to, you know be a singer even and and being obsessed with was uh europe's the final countdown that was my song i was like dad just just play it again dad (laughs) just (laughs) no no you got to play it again so so i have memories of that my dad you know journey um just the other day i put on some ridiculous playlist and richard marks uh no whatever you go Mm. whatever you do i'll be i have memories of being in my dad's you know so so a lot of like that 80s rock bon jovi the the slippery when wet album absolute obsessed so many so many and then my dad would also show me like the dark stuff too because he would like we drive downtown sometimes to montreal to uh pick up my mother and we'd have to wait outside of the office waiting for her to come out and i remember sitting there listening to to coma from from guns and roses which is a heavy song you know for mm. for like i don't know how old i was i was probably under five and my dad explaining that this guy is, you know, dying of an, <laughs> and here he is, you know, you got to shock him back to life. He probably did dumbed it down for me, but it was still felt heavy. <laughs> wow. So early, yeah, early on, that was it. Definitely a lot of my dad's influences. My band, when I branched out, and then this is a reason why I, I hated all guitar solo music for a long time because it was dad music to me. I wanted to, you know, as all kids, we want to rebel. We want to get our own sense of identity. And, you know, luckily or not luckily, depending on how you look at this, new metal was Mm. huge at the time that we were growing up. So I ate that up with a spoon. There was was minimal guitar soloing. Everything's down tuned. It's all about the tone and the chug. Um, The first thing that I loved that my dad hated was Marilyn Manson. So, so that was a big win for me. I was afraid of it. It drew me towards it. I was a very straight and narrow and, and focused and <laughs> studious <laughs> child. And uh, Manson scared me. I remember listening to it and being afraid, and it intrigued me. And uh, I wanted more of it. So, so I just kept digging and digging. And I had a really cool group of friends in high school. Shout out to to Vince Bardanucci, who I'm still friends with to this day. Um, he showed me so many great, great bands and, you know, discovering Slipknot, thanks to him. And then, you know, it was their first album and they came to town like a week later. You know, one of those situations, you know, where you get this album, you fall in love with it. Hadn't seen, being from Montreal, not having cable, not seeing any imagery except for that CD booklet, which was obscure and weird and out of focus. And then I go to this show, and I think it was one of the first shows that I went to. If it was not the first, it was the second, downtown Montreal, which was, you know, a big thing for me being from the suburbs. I was a terrified, I was a very terrified child <laughs> of the big city, you know, all the bad people were there. <laughs> so I go to this show, and they step out on the stage, and they're, they're big I was I was scared. It was cool. First mosh pit, violent. Uh, yeah, it was it was cool. So clearly, a lot of what drew you in was, in many sense, the imagery and kind of themes within heavy music. Um, what were you like with aggressive singing types as a kid? You know, for me, 
I didn't like it at first. I remember hearing it, can't remember what track it was, but I didn't like it. So were you instantly okay with the aggressive singing that was going on in the music as well? Uh, no, I was totally not into it. I was much more into, uh, I think my first real vocal, no, because obviously, because like I came from, you know, um, Steve Perry mm. journey. He was like an angel, just, just a beautiful voice. Everything that my dad listened to, even Hetfield on the Black Album was a bit more polished and, and you know, melodic. And then my own thing really came with Tool, probably, uh, the new metal. Corn uh, didn't really, you know, had some harshness to it, but but still was melodic at points. Uh, the first, like, extreme thing that I heard was probably Corey mm -hmm. from, from Slipknot. Um, didn't think that it was real. Didn't think it was possible. I could never imagine myself doing that. I remember the first time watching uh, that video for, for Dig, Mm. from Mudvayne and I'm like looking at Chad screaming and, and how fast he's screaming there's hardly any room for any breaths I was like there's no way that I could ever do that <laughs> same thing happened again when I was already in Three Mile and I was dabbling in extreme vocals and we were listening to Pantera I think it was War Nerve the track and my guitarist Ben Ayotte was driving the car at that time and he turns to and I'm like I could never he's like dude you could totally do this <laughs> You could do this. You can do this. And I was like, you're right. I can do this. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I was totally not into it. And the same thing with Cryptopsia. Shout out to Luke Orr uh, taking the train from Montreal back home. And he's the first person that introduced me to Cryptopsy. Mm. He had uh, None So Live. And he showed me Phobophile with Martin Lacroix on vocals. And I was like, the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what the fuck is he saying? You know, I, don't, I didn't, I didn't get it. It, it took me, <laughs> I had to grow into that. So, I mean, the, the switch from, you know, like three mile scream and cryptopsy from new metal kind of slipknot stuff is quite a leap. Um, oh yeah. So was it, when looking back, is there a band you think kind of bridged that gap for you or was it just a gradual evolution that led you to that side of music? It happened really like organically. Like when I was in, I was in a band before Three Mile called uh, Nixtasm. Horrible band name, cool band, good humans. Uh, we were basically a, an incubus wannabe band. Mm. Uh, I loved, loved, still enjoy, but he's not as aggressive, so I don't like as much. Uh, Brandon Boyd's vocals. Uh, he, we had sort of like the same vocal range, so it was fun and sort of easy for me to covers tracks it was it was cool for for that and then i joined three mile and we were basically going to be an incubus taproot um seven dust and i love seven dust very much so, so that was something that really introduced uh, interested me in joining this project because uh montreal was a hotbed at the time because this band called pulse ultra had just gotten signed via taproot so everybody was doing these bands at that time so so when i jumped into three mile that was our goal and then as the years went by, we just fell into this click of bands that started playing heavier and heavier music. The whole new wave of American heavy metal was really taking off in 2002, 2000 to 2002, 2005, you know. So, so there was uh, Shadows Fall that came in as an influence. Uh, the one that really bridged me on my vocals was uh, Randy from, from Lamb of God, uh, that Laid to rest. Is that the uh, that's the song? Is that the mm, uh, the album yeah. name too? I think so too. Mm. 
-hmm. that album in particular just sort of I, I experimented with more harsh vocals on that and I was always already influenced by Mike Patton a lot but it was you know diving into the more grittier um more guttural side of things came from Randy for sure now switching back into like high school period were you only focused or dreaming of music as something to pursue or were you at that age you know career orientated because we know now you know we'll get to it later you work in in childcare but what were you like in high school finishing up were you focused on music or were you kind of all over the shop I was always very interested in being in a band. I remember, I think the first band that I ever saw play live was this band called Crud. And they were like a punk rock band. And they were like the kings of the high school. I remember going to a, and they were playing Bro Him mm. from, from Pennywise. Mm. I'm right, right? It's Pennywise. Yeah. Yeah. And the singer gave me the mic and I didn't know the, you know, it's, it's not complicated. <laughs> But I didn't know what to do. So, so Steve, if you ever listen to this, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and they were so cool. So I always wanted to be a band. There was like a grade older to me. There was these kids that were in a band. Uh, they were really cool. I always saw them and was like, wow, I'd love to be in a band. I always imagined myself singing in a band, always in the car with my dad. I have this vivid memory. We were, I think I was in grade six, and we were driving down to Maine to we were going to nova scotia but we took like this scenic route and then you could take a ferry from maine and then land on in nova scotia and i remember listening to bohemian rhapsody and that part where you know he there's the whole intro thing and then there's the to me and then i I would just listen to this on my cassette in the back seat and imagine myself walking out onto stage at that point so so there's always been singing in my life. And I always sang and I tried to get into um, singing contests in in my youth. I think I said this on a podcast recently on a Vox Hops episode. I, I tried out when I was in grade seven singing Two Out of Three Ain't Bad by Meatloaf, <laughs> which is an extremely inappropriate song for mm. a child in grade seven to be singing. You know, I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm going to love you. It, it's, 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 you know, that's obviously why I didn't get in. <laughs> I don't know what my parents were thinking. I guess they just supported me no matter what, but mm. they didn't think help me think that one through. <laughs> so so I always wanted to sing. I ended up falling into, we had a good theater program in my high school. Um, Mrs. Cocking uh, still with us today and still supporting me and proud of me from everything that has happened after me being in the plays with her. Uh, love her, love her to death. Uh, we, we had a great, great theater program, thanks to her. Very musical, Mr. Shank. Uh, first uh, pianist uh, vocal lessons I ever took was with him. That was the best. So much fun. I got little parts at first, just, just you know, backing choir parts. I was an Oliver. I was a little orphan child. Uh, we did uh, Wizard of Oz. I was one of the munchkins, the... What are those little, the, the little, I was a part of the, I was the lollipop guild, which was the one role that I didn't want. And that's the role I got. So, so <laughs> I did that. And then in our grade 10, which is our before last year, I got like a prominent part in this spaghetti Western uh, version of Phantom of the Opera. 
and uh, it was really cool. I really enjoyed it very much. And then be, there was this whole like strike that went on in grade 11, which would have been my last year in high school. So there was no play that year. And I would have most probably gotten a, a rather good role because I could sing and I wasn't afraid to speak on stage. So we didn't have a play that year. But in grade 10, I ended up falling into a band. And I was very excited about that because uh, the cool band of the year before me broke up and they broke into two bands and the second band needed to fill up, fulfill their lineup, but all the, the musically talented people of that grade were already taken, so we had to go younger. <laughs> so I lucked out there. So so Lee Pichet, excellent human. I'm very, very lucky to have had the chance to start with that. And then my bassist of the band before, Three Mile, uh, Joe Martell, uh, who I've had on the podcast uh, before to talk about my time with him in Nixtasm, was in that band, and we grew up a whole bunch together. We played... Uh, in, in, you know, we played, I think my first show with them was like a house. People just came to jam and that was like a show for me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it was it was cool. I always wanted to be in a band. So those early years, you know, high school band, you know, garage band, house party band phase, I think a lot of people go through. Um, you mentioned about getting out to live shows or you went to a few live shows. Now, some listeners may know the Canadian scene. Ooh, we're drinking a beer, ladies and gentlemen. Um, if you know Matt and you know his podcast, always about the IPAs, probably. Is it an IPA? No, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm being, uh, it's still February mm-hmm. at this exact point as I date this episode for you. Um, and I'm doing a sober February. So this is actually a non-alcoholic uh, lychee and clementine white beer wheat beer sorry and it's brand new from the these guys have been making excellent excellent uh, non-alcoholic products here in quebec uh, they're probably the kings of it for the past four years i want to say it's called micro City le bocale they make a uh, very solid products and this one's brand new so i haven't tried it yet so Ooh. cheers um well cheers I've, I've got my cordial so um now w- what i was saying is were you noticing a local scene? Like, you know, scene, I don't like the phrase, but it's the easiest way of describing it. You know, were there a place and were there venues for local bands to get out and perform and put in the yards to learn their presence on stage, to learn their music writing chops? Like, did you have that locally in your town? Uh, Two Mountains, absolutely not. Uh, No, it was more like we jammed, Nixtasm jammed in my bedroom for for two years my parents were really cool uh let that happen and uh, <laughs> but you had to go to montreal if you went to montreal montreal is not far it's like a 40 minute drive mm-hmm. we got it we had it we got a train that uh, takes about 35 minutes and you're right downtown so so it was easy and as soon as i got into the montreal scene it was unbelievably easy because everyone knows everyone there's there was or less now a bunch of amazing little venues that, you know, do-it-yourself shows could be organized. Montreal has a vibrant scene, and, and it seemed, everything seemed possible. You know, I, there's this iconic jam space, which Cryptopsy still jams at, called Cité 2000, and you would go there, and I would go there. I remember the first time we started jamming there, and, you know, there's Alex from Cryptopsy, and I would cross uh, Alex from Despised Icon, and I'm like, oh, there's the guys, you know, from from Ion Dissonance. It's like, oh, um, you know, and it's like it's everything was in within 
our reach. It, it was very possible to think that if we put the work in, we could succeed. So, so Montreal was blessed for that, and, and we're definitely not at a lacking of talented musicians. And I don't know what the secret is, uh, but it's, it's, you know, we, I come from a city of extremely talented people, which, so I'm very grateful that I've been lucky enough to just hitch my horse onto the right wagon. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, you mentioned earlier that you kind of came into Three Mile Scream, which some listeners may know that it's kind of the band you were known for before you joined Cryptopsy. But how did you join Three Mile Scream? And also, it's a two-part question. So the other part of the question is, what were those early few years like before you came into Three Mile for you with your earning your stripes, in a way? Was it essential, do you look back on, or do you think it was a very hard mile that you were having to run? Um, my band, Nixed, has a before Three Mile. Uh, we were basically best friends. We would hang out in my room and jam, and we basically had, like, one good year and then maybe a half a year where we weren't happy, like a relationship that was breaking up. <laughs> but I love them, and uh, we actually re-recorded some songs this year, 20 years later. Mm. Uh, very, very cool. I was, it felt, you know, still getting goosebumps singing lines that from 20 years ago, which is, is a cool thing. Uh, but um, joining three, we, we, with the end of Nixtasm, what really happened was that we played a Battle of the Bands. Now, <laughs> I don't like Battle of the Bands because of this, but uh, <laughs> we won the first round, so we were very excited and very probably overly egotistical about it. And then we lost the second one horribly, and that really, really put a damper in our spirits, which I wish that I had a mentor around me. I wish I had someone from like a scene that would have taken us under their wing to tell us that it was such nonsense, because I know that it is now. It really means nothing. So, so that was basically the demise of <laughs> inner, inner problems became bigger than they had to be. And, um, you know, high school was ending. No, 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 because I was already finished high school. It was my first year of CGEP. I was, everyone was just going in different directions. And then um, when I played with three, with Nixtasm, I met Mike Marino, who is uh, the bassist, the leader of Three Mile. So, so we, we met each other at a outside show in Montreal. I remember it, we were there to see Slaves on Dope. Um, cool local Montreal band. Another one, you know, here, mm. here's another. Oh, there's Jason from, from Slaves on Dope. He just gave me this hockey card of hit themselves at this snow jam. I remember like looking, I still have it somewhere, which is fine. <laughs> so, so it was very realistic to become a rock star <laughs> in Montreal. So, so me and Mike kept in contact and I did nothing after three, after Nixtasm for a good eight months. I just focused on going to school and I wasn't, uh, I was studying business. I hated it. It, it really wasn't for me. Uh, I was just going through the motions. Uh, I had put art basically on the back burner for that time of my life. And then I got a phone call. This is my, Mike was like this. He would just call you somehow. He would get your number. He was a hustler. He still is a hustler. So, so my phone rings in, in my parents' basement. I pick it up and I'm Matt, you know, it's Mike. 
uh, won't you come jam with my new band? So we did that. I had just like cut my hair horribly. <laughs> we get, they pick me up at the train. Oh, it's a, a lot of the train going on in the stories. <laughs> they pick me up at the train and uh, the guitarist, Alex, looks at Mike and goes, are you, are you for fucking real, this guy? <laughs> <laughs> but we get into the jam room and I, you know, I had, had some pipes. So, so he was impressed. Got into Three Mile, and um, it was hard. You know, Mike really gave me the teachings, that mentorship that I needed, because he had been around the block for many years, and his, his uncle is a big rock star, Frank Marino, from Frank Marino and the Mahogany Rush. So, so he, the music industry was really in him. His father's involved in the music industry. His brother has now gone on to uh, be signed for many years with The Agonist, so... so it's a, it's a very musical family. Um, so so I just grew up under his mentorship for, for many, many years. My whole time in Three Mile, he really just sort of taught me how to do things, uh, for, mostly for good. Um, and uh, I appreciate all the things that I learned from him. And then through all of that, I stumbled into Cryptopsy. Mm. Well, by meeting By meeting Donaldson, who's the guitarist of Cryptopsy still. Well, Three Miles Scream, you know, I was looking back, you know, I remember, you know, I discovered Cryptopsy for The Unspoken King. Uh, that's when I first became aware of the band. Now, a lot of listeners may or may not know the band had been going since the mid-90s before you came in. But the thing with Three Mile, I was looking back, did quite a bit, man. Like, still, there's quite a catalogue of music that was done in the band. So... A question I have is, was Three Mile getting outside of Canada? Because from my eyes, it looked like it was a Canadian hero band, like it was making marks, but I couldn't find if the band was making waves outside of Canada. It was beginning to. We, we played the very lackluster, uh, no, no, sorry, um, Milwaukee Death Fest when it wasn't cool anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and there was nobody there. That's the only gig that Three Mile ever played in the States, and there was nobody there. And we drove all the way there, and there was no... David Ellison was there. Ah. <laughs> that was cool. But uh, <laughs> nobody else was there. But we got signed to this this label that was a subsidiary of Universal called uh, Corporate Punishment, mm. uh, ran by a great dude called uh, Tom Hazard, who now sings for David Ellison's project that's going on right now and uh, we were making some interest it was happening uh, we became good friends with Randy Bly from Lamb of God so he was um, a strong supporter of the band uh, once you know we had a few member switches go on and some members were far more comfortable roughing it and just going out and touring for the sake of touring versus other people which is when around that time too I got the call from Cryptopsy saying, do you want to try out? I said, no, I'm going to make it on my own. Three miles, my baby. I, I'm married to this horse. I'm hitched to this horse. I'm, I'm going to ride it to the end. Uh, Mike, the leader, left the band. And I hung up the phone with Mike and called Flo right back and said, you still looking for a singer? <laughs> <laughs> but this is like a three-month period between me saying no and calling him back. Luckily, they were still looking. And and uh, that that's how that happened. Now, I know when, when you joined, um, it was late 
2007-ish, early 2008. Now, when you come into a band that had already, at that stage, they had five albums under their belt. They've been going since the mid-90s. Do you come into a band that is established like that with any nerves and expectation, like uh, ignoring what outside perception or uh, pressure would be, but did you come in with any pressure and expectations? Yeah, yeah, I had, I was terrified. So, so I got the call on my birthday in July from Flo. He didn't know it was my birthday. And, and he, he said, you got the gig. And I was like, oh, cool. It's my birthday. I'm actually partying right now with my (laughs) friends. I'm going to go celebrate. And being with Three Mile, we, we used to practice three to four nights a week religiously. Mm. We, there, was, there was no exceptions for taking a day off. There was, it would just be like that. I joined Cryptopsy in July. We didn't jam until February. Wow. So I, I was calling them saying, are we going to jam? Are we going to... It's just It was just a different beast. So, so I was extremely unprepared we we basically jammed to get into shape to play my first tour with them which was in mexico in march of 2008 i want to say and there's footage of that out there and it's horrible so so (laughs) i i was i was not ready and i was not an extreme death metal vocalist at the time i really had to grow into that role i was really a metal core vocalist never a death core vocalist as much as people like to label me and uh, it was just a pressure upon myself. I remember recording the album and just really like thinking like, this is your shot. This is your chance. You got to take it. You, you have to do your best. And I really, really did everything to my ability to make it as good as I could have done at that exact time. So do I like The Unspoken King? In reflection, you know, looking back upon it, I do not. It is not a good Cryptopsy album. Had we called this new project The Unspoken King and released that album as a side project, I think people would have been much more interested in it. Well, it must have been hard also because of who you were coming in for. Um, You know, there was the whole, like, did he get fired, did he quit behind Worm? But, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't don't think people realise what he was known for and his, like, performance. I mean, you're coming in from a basically a spectacle kind of guy. I'm not doubting his abilities or his talents, but he was known for the spectacle that he put on live. You're coming in and taking his place and then you're musically shifting gears on the album. Like the backlash you got, I don't remember a lot of it, but I looked back and I was I was shocked, man. Like that was just like insane. Yeah, yeah, people hated us. But we we, we didn't handle it well either. It was, (laughs) I remember the day that it leaked because the album leaked or at least two of the the tracks with clean vocals leaked. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I was working, I was working in in early childhood at the time. And we, I got to the work computer because there's no smartphones at the time. And I opened up, I think it was SMN forums or something. And there was a cryptopsy tab there. And here it was, and everyone was just like, how garbage this was. Just It's just pure garbage, blah, we hate this. And I had to go to work after. I was That was not a good day. And then we went on tour, and we had this great idea of, of making this intro for Summer Slaughter, which, which in recollection is not the best 
approach to dealing with with negative feedback, but we thought it was really funny at the time. And uh, I remember the night that we came up with it, and we were in Europe somewhere on tour with uh, Decrepit Birth and uh, Unmerciful, which is my first European tour. And it was funny as hell. Uh, but the whole Johnny dinner time thing it was not the the right move to do to to mock the people that are you know upset with a direction of a band. It wasn't a very mature response that, and I'm sure that you know if it were to happen to me now, I would not be someone that would want to do that as a response. We would have done something much more mature. But that first night in Detroit at Summer Slaughter with all the bands listening, they thought it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe listeners don't realize about the shift. You know, it, Cryptopsy were known or are heavily known as a tech death metal band. And that album is deemed and called a deathcore band. And a lot of the hate was thrown at you because you happened to be the vocalist that was in the band when this style shift changed, which you did. Got you guys did switch back to the old style and still do it. But um, personally, the elitist mentality and the personal attacks did that question your decision to ever get involved? Because it's not your fault that the band went in that shift of gear. No, I, there was never a moment that I was like, oh, no, I'm going to stop. Because the band always had my back. They were always, flow was always very, you know, I like this album. It's a cool direction. And he's always been avant-garde. Because if you look at the bands that are popular right now, they all have clean vocals in them. Mm. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> they all do. Mm -hmm. So, so, so you know, once again, Cryptopsy was ahead of its time. But, uh, no, I never, there was a lot of hate. There was, you know, it was a MySpace era at mm. the time. And there was a whole fake Cryptopsy page that was made with us all. And, you know, it was just very juvenile, but with a bunch of death threats, a whole bunch of death threats. But <laughs> but we just, you know, rolled it off and tried to. The band was in a weird state before the record. Like, you know, me joining and then not practicing for eight months is weird. Mm. Mm. It's a weird thing to, to how to welcome a new member. So, so... There was a lot of member changes since that album. And, you know, I stepped in and I got just tracks. It's not like I was there when they wrote a single note. I just received The Unspoken King and I wrote to it. And I was like, where would you imagine clean vocals? Because I knew that they wanted me to use my clean vocals. That's why I got the job. So there was a lot of discussion like that. And I wanted to make them happy because I was hired into a new band. So so that was my mentality towards it. Uh, Donaldson, who was the producer and uh, the guitarist of the band, hates that album. He hated it then. Hated it. He was recording my clean vocals, like making just the most disgusted face and being like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I have vivid, vivid memories of that. So, so, and to this day, he hates it. But, you know, me going back, I've revisited it during the pandemic when we were all at home for a bit there. Uh, I listened to it from front to back, and there are some cool tracks on it. I wouldn't say that all of them, but, you know, that last track, I think, Bound Dead, I believe it's called. Mm. It's a cool track. It's a cool track. And you can hear the songs that Donaldson wrote. You can feel, you know, the, the Anoint the Dead. It's clearly a Donaldson song. Worship Your Demons is clearly a Donaldson song. And then the rest of it is a bit of, you know, every, there was too many cooks in the kitchen. It was the first album without John Lavassar contributing at all. Uh, 
even on Once Was Not, he left halfway through, but he wrote a lot of the material. So it still had that cryptopsy spirit. So so he came back for the self-titled, and one of his main motivations for coming back was to put cryptopsy back on the right track. Hmm. And, and since then, we've just been driving that train. It, you know, he, he left, and it was really hard for Chris to find his identity in the cryptopsy essence and not feel like he's trying to mimic John uh, as an imposter. But uh, he's definitely over that now, and he's just killing it. An interesting question I had was something that sometimes maybe listeners don't understand or fans of bands don't understand, that in many sense, The Unspoken King is what you'd say is an experimental album. You know, the band tried it. And then you self-titled in 2012, so you've gone back to what your bread and butter is, in a way. Mm -hmm. Did that, looking back, do you think that harmed the band's impression and legacy with its fan base? Like, were people able to forget about The Unspoken King once self-titled came out? Or are you still having diehard fans have a go at you about it? I still have people that have a go at me about it, but I also have people that come up to me at every single show saying, that's the first one I heard. Mm. I actually like that album. I was afraid to tell my friends that I liked it. <laughs> I, get, I, I get that a lot. Mm. But there's also the thing that after The Unspoken King, we went independent. Mm -hmm. so, so there's a lot of people, you know, we, we did our best. Being an independent band is really hard. And there's a lot of work to be done, especially back, you know, we were probably earlier than everyone else that's going independent now. And there's all these services that make it a little bit easier for your material to get everywhere. Um, so, so 2012, you know, and there's a lot of people that don't even know that we put out that album. There's a lot of people that don't know that we put out two EPs after that. So we're hoping that we just signed a record deal with a very cool label that I can't talk about sadly. Um, we're hoping that this helps solidify everything and just puts everyone know that Cryptopsy is still around and, uh, you know, the unspoken King is behind us and we will not be doing anything like that in the, in the future for sure. I, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> what was the decision behind going independent? Cause you, you know, hit a nail on the head there. You guys were doing it at a time where not many people are doing it. This was still a time 2012 where being on a label was very important for bands, not only with reach, but you know, uh, finances, all of this. But now mm -hmm. it's a whole different ball game, as you know. So was it a case of it was just the situation you were put in to go independent or did you decide, yeah, we're going to do this because we can actually control things better? It was more about that. The band had signed a deal that they were extremely unhappy with, with uh, their label at the time. Mm. And they, they wanted to do something completely different. They really didn't see the value in being in a, on a label. So we did a bunch of research, uh, myself and my wife, Jessica, did a whole bunch of research on how exactly can we be an independent band. Uh, Radiohead had just done that In Rainbows thing where they put up their album for download for like five pounds or something. And that really flow being a huge Radiohead fan, that really sparked something in him. So, so we did a bunch of research. We discovered, luckily, the right platform. Imagine we chose the wrong platform, but we chose Bandcamp. Mm. And we've been with Bandcamp since since back then. So, and they've just grown into a monster, doing so many great things for bands since 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 then. It's it's amazing. So, so we've just been 
trudging along, trying to do as much as we can, but it's the marketing, you know, we, we, it's extreme death metal. We don't make much money. So to, to divvy up and to put it in the right places, it's hard to, you know, make those decisions. But nowadays you look at bands like Shadow of Intent who are independent and are doing very well for themselves. And that's just a whole other beast. You were also a band, you know, with the EPs, The Book of Suffering, uh, part one and part two. You guys also did the crowdfunding as well. Um, we did for the first EP, yeah, yes. For the first one, yeah. Um, was that a easy thing or a hard thing? Because, you know, I've had Mike from Darkest Hour on and when they decided to do it, he said it was a really good idea at the start and then when he started getting into all the finer details and the reward schemes for, you know, the loyal listeners who were paying... He started going, this is a nightmare. The amount of things I've got to do. So what was it like for you guys? Uh, once again, my wife helped a lot. She, she has now become the the producer to Vox and Hops. She she knew of these issues of, of you, you got, we kept it simple. Mm-hmm. So it was not that difficult in the end, but it was a very stressful thing throughout the campaign, trying to, create uh, enough content to to keep promoting it and to have you know once again being independent getting the message to the right people that they actually want to share it you know does mental injection want to share another video about cryptopsies you know indiegogo again you know stuff like that so so we didn't meet our goal but we did reach a certain amount that it was helpful there was a bit of confusion if it was for all of the EPs or just the one that was, you know, maybe we didn't word things properly, but in our minds, it was always just for the one EP because, you know, EPs are, you know, going to the studio is expensive to make CDs, to make more, everything costs money and to make new background, you know, stage props and everything's expensive. The scrims, the backdrops is the word I was looking for. Uh, everything's expensive. So, so that's, that's why we, Went with that. I, we will. Ne- I will never do another crowdfund. I did not like running it because all of the like technical stuff in the band ends up falling on my shoulders, and I, I did not enjoy that experience at all. <laughs> the stress, the stress of not, you know, I don't like not succeeding at stuff. Mm, mm. So, so the fact that we didn't meet the goal when other bands, I was watching other bands surpass the goal, and you know, like protest the hero, another Canadian band just killed it on theirs, and I was like, Flo, look, we could do something like this. <laughs> <laughs> didn't work out for us that way you know our fans were supporting us the whole time though through Bandcamp. so even if they weren't contributing directly to the campaign at least they were supporting us that way so it's it's you know we, we did well and I, i'm not disappointed in that but i, I just have not something that i want to pursue again I just do a solid pre-order sell it that way which is the way that we did tome two and we'll see how things go on the label next yeah, back to uh, norm, you know, I don't like the phrase, but it is. It's back to the normal way of doing things. Now, kind of, you mentioned in there the signing, which that's fine, you can't announce, that's fine. But one of my questions was going to be, you know, the last EP was 2018. So, obviously, there's been pandemic in there, so that's probably slowed things down. I've seen some teasers on Instagram on the Cryptopsy page. Where are we looking time-wise for you guys going ahead? Is it something that you might release this year or are you a band that wants to hold off until you can possibly tour behind a release? Um, I think I'd rather 
we right now we're at the point where the dudes, the guys have worked on a lot of the music. It's I was listening to some today. It's fantastic. It's pure cryptopsy with subtle new twists, um, a bit more darkness in it. It's it's very very interesting, uh, exciting, uh, heavy as fuck, uh, twisted. Very very cool. I'm very very excited with this new band. But always being cryptopsy. It's totally cryptopsy. So so when is it going to come out? It depends. We're going to record with Chris, obviously, at the grid. Uh, the grid is taken off, you know, because he works with, you know, Shadow of Intent, Despised Icon, Beyond Creation. Uh, he just did Signs of the Swarm, uh, Volvidinia. He's, he's a very busy individual, so the studio is booked, but he always ends up squeezing us in somehow. So we're hoping to get it recorded before the summer, is, is a very vague term. <laughs> and then it will fall upon the label's you know, schedule of release at that point. I can't see it. Realistically, me being someone that's involved in the industry because of the podcast, I don't see it coming out this year. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, it's it's a weird time. You know, I've had people that said that they think it's essential to get music out now because they think people can consume more, but then I've had people on the show that say, well, yeah, people could consume more, but their main source of consuming content is while they're on their way to work or when they're at the gym and they can't do this so they're not actually consuming any music so it's an interesting time i think it's better now i think that a lot of bands really got screwed uh in the first four or five months of last year bands like black dahlia Hmm. bands like testament their records dropped right at the beginning of the pandemic i think they were affected more than nowadays, because people were in a state of unrest. People were far too concerned about, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow than picking up a record or buying a CD or or buying some merch to support a band. Uh, people were not as organized with live stream events at that point because everything was new. They didn't know if that summer tour was actually going to happen. So I think I think that nowadays bands, if you're going to release a record now, there's going to be a plan that it's a pandemic release and there's going to be a plan according to that and how you can maximize your interaction with your fans to sell the most amount of records on that plan versus before. What about live streaming? You you mentioned it there. You know, I've had a couple of guests who have done live streaming. I've had some guests who are vehemently against it. Um, what's your take on the live streaming thing? You know, I understand it's, a great idea for bands to maintain some revenue and keep some attention on them. But what if someone said to you, Hey Matt, um, we want you to do a cryptopsy live stream. I mean, where are you on that? We just got an offer that we, I personally said, I didn't want to do it. Um, it has to be done right. If we are going to do it, I'm not opposed to it, but if we were to do it, I would want it to be something amazing. I, I, I don't want to just rehash some set list from, from, a year ago and play that, you know, someone can go on YouTube mm. and see that set. I don't see the, the purpose of that. It has to be an event. It has to be something behemoth understands. Obviously behemoth never fucks around. They always know how to put on a show, whether you're there or not. So it would have to be something like that, but with something like that, it needs the budget. Mm. So, so I'm not opposed to it. I don't see it happening, but I'm not opposed to it, but it would have to be done right. Now, the last thing before we switch into some podcast stuff and some other things, I wanted to ask kind of an interesting kind of thought. This might make your brain tick a bit, but 
let's say that music is all stopped. No one is allowed to play an instrument again. And someone said to you, Matt, what do you want the legacy of cryptopsy to be remembered for? And what do you want people to think of when they think of cryptopsy? What would it be? That's hard because there's so many eras, right? The mm. first thing that came to mind was none so vile. Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> it's the first thing that came to mind because it's it's an iconic album. But then I had the, oh, but what about Mike? He's such a good vocalist. and he... <laughs> So I, I would want it to be, um, you know, actually, now, when I think of Cryptopsy, I think that they never rest on their laurels. Because mm-hmm. Cryptopsy could have just made None So Vile 2, None So Vile 3, None So Vile 4, and they would have hypothetically been as big as Cannibal Corpse. But they didn't do that. Why? Because they weren't satisfied they wanted more. They wanted to push their instruments. That competitive um, synergy between John and Flo motivating each other to outdo each other, to outdo themselves, never satisfied. That is what I think really is what Cryptopsy is about. Just constantly evolving. And it's to this day. It's to this day. You know, writing riffs and then Chris says, that's a good riff. Uh, let's listen to it backwards. And then he learns it backwards, which was a trick that John used to do back in the day. You write a riff and it sounds too normal, so you learn it backwards. And that becomes a cryptopsy riff. <laughs> so, <laughs> but now, now John used to do it in his head. Chris has the technology where he can put it into Pro Tools and just flip it. And then learn it that way. But John would just figure it out. John was a, a savant when it came to writing writing music. Just a true, true beautiful creature when it came to composing music so so that that i think that would be forward thinking um never satisfied never resting on their laurels always trying to do something new even when it doesn't pan out such as the unspoken king that's it's also a thing that you've been a band you know yes before you were there but it's been a band that's seen all the changes in the industry it's seen all the changes in the world so that's also an interesting thing that a band can since the 90s still prevail today it's it's important for listeners to know because a lot of those bands come and go you know we saw new metal bands come and go we saw a lot of the core bands come and go but here's a tech death band an extreme metal band where revenue's not that big for them doing it still 2021 still that's right yeah mm. you know they started in early 90s flow's mm. been there for forever no mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and, and he's playing as be- better than he ever has, so so good for him. <laughs> now, obviously, listeners will know of you for Cryptopsy, but there'll be other listeners that will know you for Vox and Hops. So, question I have, which you've, you know, you've probably asked this question a million times, why did you start doing podcasting? Um, I started listening to podcasts a lot when I was uh, staying at home for a year. Uh, I had taken a sabbatical to stay home with my then two-year-old daughter. So, so being in Canada, um, it was cool during you know the the fall months, and then all of a sudden it just gets really dark really early. And my wife would come home around, you know, seven, seven thirty sometimes. So, so the afternoons felt just brutally long. So we don't watch TV much TV even to this day with my kids. At that time, it was basically nothing. So, so. The afternoons felt very long, so I would listen to a bunch of music, and then I started just, oh, let's listen to podcast. I was a guest on the Jasta show with Flo. I was like, 
let's check out this jazz to show it. You know, everyone says it's so good. Ollie listens to podcasts a lot, the basis of Cryptopsy, when we were on tour that summer. And I was like, okay, let, let's give it a chance. Let, let's listen to this podcast. And I became obsessed. And so the rest of the year, I just listened to the jazz to show religiously. I listened to the X-Men with Doc Coyle. Uh, from God, I know him from God Forbid back in the day. Now with Bad Wolves. And I listened to uh, Off Camera with Sam Jones, and I really, really enjoyed his uh, his approach to interviewing people. Just a lot of listening, not talking, being patient. And uh, that's what sparked it. I was went to a dinner with my wife, her birthday dinner, and uh, we basically always end up having discussions that turn into meetings, that turn into brainstorming. She's a project manager, was a project, she still is a project manager, but she was a project manager in her job at the time. Uh, and she loves to help develop ideas. So she really pitched it that night. The whole thing just blew up. What do you love? I love craft beer. Uh, that's been a passion of mine since uh, when Yuri Raymond was in the band. Uh, he opened me up to this world of, of more than just commercial beers. I became obsessed around 2013. That's when I really got into that. So I melded the two. I was always that guy on tour that would ask, uh, you know, meet some some new band that I'm touring with and sit there and pick their brain for the whole night. So so that's just the person that I am. I am, And I'm not afraid to ask those questions that are out of the box because I'm curious about it. And I have a subtle Canadian tact to do it nicely. So so people don't mind telling me things. So, <laughs> so I put those two things together and uh, we came up, actually came up with the name Vox and Hops that night, April 5th, uh, 2018, I think, yeah. And then over, we just went from there. I started doing interviews August of 2018. I, my first guest was Danny Marino, mm -hmm. Mike Marino's brother of The Agonist. Uh, I've known Danny forever. I knew that he liked beer. I knew that I would feel comfortable with him. So went to his house, uh, sat down on his couch, we cracked some beers and I'm like, I'm nervous. And he's like, dude, dude, stop it. You've played Vakken. You've played Vakken. You can do this. <laughs> and that was, you know, 200 and, you know, 50 episodes ago or something. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. What I've been late 2018 to today, um, still going strong. You, you're pumping out multiple episodes a week. It's, um, it's hectic, you know, Podcast of the podcaster, without saying names, have you had some nightmare episodes that you've never aired? Because I per <laughs> I've personally, I've personally had some really bad ones that I, they're stored on a hard drive that I can't use because it wasn't my fault. But the guests were a train wreck, is a polite way of saying. So I wondered, you seem just so smooth with the content you have, you're pumping it out. But has there been bad ones? I've had. Two that I have not released. One was, and I won't say names, circumstance. Mm. I'll, I'll explain a circumstance, but I won't go too deep so it's not obvious mm. who or where it was. But we, the guy knew that I liked beer. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, cool. He brought me beer, which happens a lot. And I said, oh, cool, let's go do an interview. And there was a language barrier. He didn't quite understand what was happening. So we go down into the dressing room and we crack the beer. We start drinking it. It was good. And I start pulling out all my recording gear and the guy's confused, but being polite, 
So I start the interview, but he doesn't understand really what's happening. So I have that one somewhere. And I went, I think, like four or five minutes before I realized rather quickly this was not going to be an interview. The other one I have talked about, and I'm not afraid to talk about it right now, is with uh, my bassist, Ollie Pinard. We were on tour with uh, Aborted, uh, Benighted, and Cytotoxin. It was actually the night, the last night that Cytotoxin was on the tour. And uh, it was also the last night that Benighted was on the tour. So, so they had gone home, and we were taking the ferry into London. And me and Ollie stayed up very late, enjoying lots and lots of beers, which we always tend to do for some reason when we go to take that ferry, even though we should not do that because we don't get to sleep. And Flo always tells us, just go to sleep, behave yourselves, and we never do. So so <laughs> I have an interview, it's 45 minutes long, of me and Ollie, and when Ollie gets a bit too happy, we his name becomes Elo. We have this name in the bands. When when whenever we become too intoxicated, it's our names backwards. So, Tam and Elo had a forty-five minute interview that went nowhere. So 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 I couldn't release it. So I interviewed him afterwards, right after that tour when we came home, which was episode twenty-one, I want to say. And I put a snippet of the the episode that never happened in the outro of that episode. So so. It's funny as hell, but uh, no, that's I've been lucky uh, with with guests in particular. Oh, there was one other thing that was really not fun. Yeah, but I won't talk. I yeah, no, there was one <laughs> guest that came on that that, and that was more than that because it was at a, it was at like a live event that I did online, and uh, I'm still not sure if if the guest was joking or not, but I'm mm. I was concerned for him after it. Mm. Well, you know. Also, a question is, some people think uh, it's very simple to do this, which, you know, I think it can be, but I think it also takes uh, a lot of learning and a knack. And it, I went back and listened to one of the early ones. It was in, within the first 10 of yours because I haven't got – you've got too many. Like, it takes me too long. Yeah. <laughs> um, you That's know, why I keep them short. Yes. <laughs> so the thing is, did you always feel comfortable with it? Because it is literally just a conversation, but you feel like you've just been a breeze with it the whole time. No, at first I was nervous, mm. definitely. But I, my first guests were my friends. Mm. So I was very, very lucky. I think the first person that I sat down with that I didn't know was probably Chris Bowes from Ailstorm. I think that's the first one that uh, a publicist reached out to me for. So I went downtown, took the day off work, went downtown, climbed onto the tour bus with him. Luckily, he was really cool, and he is really cool. So so we had a, an excellent time. Uh, but nowadays, no, no, I, but it's I, I feel like I can have a thirty-minute conversation with just about anyone. Mm, mm. Yeah. Well, it, it comes across natural, man. Like it's it's a breeze, and you know the excitement for a listener is that you feel like you're sitting in there, kind of eavesdropping. Um, and that's, that's it. That's that's what Vox and Hops is all about. It's mm. like sneaking you backstage mm. to share a craft beer with me and some of your favorite rock stars. So, do you? What do you think when you know? I was mentioning to you before we started recording that you're, you know, when I think of the top few, I've got you up there. I mean, do you see the show has reached that point or do you think there's still a ceiling that you haven't broke through? Oh, there's definitely a ceiling I haven't broke through. No, I, I'm still falling back into that. You know, I, I strive to to appreciate everything that I get all the time and the, the small victories. It's something that I've really been working on 
in my, my personal life, uh, taking that moment to look at something, you know, my whole life has been like that. I wanted to be in a signed band. I joined Cryptopsy. I wanted this. I wanted to, you know, but there's, and then as soon as I got that one thing, I want the next thing. So I wanted to hit so many downloads, you know, and there's always, there's never enough. So, so I'm trying to just appreciate everything, but uh, no, there's always more. I, I really think that there's a, a whole world of listeners that are out there that still have not enjoyed, uh, you know, have not entered the world of enjoying life, metal and craft beer with me. Yeah. And I think, I think if they haven't, um, let, let's bring them, let's bring them, get more over there. The last question I've got about um, podcasting with uh, Vox and Hops is, actually there's two more, so pardon me. So one, one is, have you ever experienced, I've had this and this is an insight for listeners, where you've had a label listening in while you've had your conversation? Have you ever had that? Like there at the time? Yeah. Oh, no, no. But I think that I'm, I, I'm very lucky because of my experience in the field. And, and once again, most of the people I have conversations with are my friends or are people that I've toured with or people that I've met on the road, uh, label people that I've been introduced to. Very, very lucky. You know, when you go on 70,000 tons of metal which I've done twice, you, you end up at these dinners with, with people. So, so I, I've been very lucky, but no, that's crazy. And I would probably say no, if I was you. Yeah. Look, I had it in the early days in the first, I was the same as you. My first 10 guests were people I knew friends. And then I started to get a couple of offers and they said that, yes, we'll, we'll be, we'll call you and we'll be listening in. And I, I have one guest who I can't mention, but he likes to party hard and, the record label told when I started getting into my background that I'd discovered told me that's too much. We don't want anyone knowing about that. And it was just about his drumming experience and they hung up the conversation. It was really, yeah, no, no, no. I've never had that. I, I, I don't even like it when they give me a time limit. No, me up no. the wall when they give me a time limit. I've, I've knocked back big names now because I have PR occasionally get in touch and they say, look, we've got so-and-so wants to, you know, promote this tour. And I say, yep, okay, cool. And they say, here's your 15 minutes. And I say, guys, can't, like, can't happen. Yeah. It's, uh, this isn't a radio interview. I don't do 15 minutes. I don't do 20 minutes. Like, you know this. I'm 150 episodes odd in. Like, I've kind of shown it's not a quick chat. Um, <laughs> sorry, listeners. That's just, you know, a bit of a vent, a ramble vent. Um no, but I, I get it, because no, they give me they give us these grills, right? Mm. Choose your slot from from three to three thirty, and I, I never respond to those. I'll just write back and say I'm available on this day at that time. <laughs> and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I, now I sort of like, because I do do a lot, so so I I'm sort of a content hoarder. I, I like to have many episodes in the bag, mm. so that I don't get stressed. So so. I'm at the point now where I have days that I record on and that's it. And I won't book outside of that. So if it's not going to fit, it's not going to fit. And I'm not suffering for guests, if you know what I mean. Mm. Last thing we're going to do before I wrap things up is a lot of people may or may not know, and everyone listening is someone who likes heavy music, but we're all really nice people. Like We wear aggressive T-shirts. It looks ugly. We listen to music that's obnoxious, but we love it. But we're actually nice people. 
And Matt, <laughs> Matt, not only have you gauged as a nice person, but he works as a childcare worker and has some books in the pipeline. So first question, why childcare? Of all things you could do. <laughs> that happened very early on. It was my first job. I was 16. Um, my mom signed me up for it actually and she drove me there. She's like, you're, you're not you're not staying home all summer. You're you're gonna go work at the day camp. So I remember being there 16 sitting with these six year olds, looking at them the first day and being like, what the hell am I gonna do with you all summer? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I ended up really enjoying it. So I did summer camp as a counselor, not like a sleep boy thing, like in the city of two mountains where I lived. It was like seriously like a four minute walk from my house, very convenient. And I really enjoyed it. I met a whole bunch of really nice people. I ended up joining Three Mile right after that. So everything was sort of just happening. The music thing, The I met my wife that same year that I joined Three Mile. She was working at the summer camp too. And I tried to have other jobs, but I always just didn't care for some reason. There was the music was always there. And then I'd always really, really look forward to going back and working at summer camp. So there was this one night I was partying in CJEP, my college, um, and there was this girl at this party, and I met this girl twice in my life. And the first time was this, and we were having a discussion, I was talking, and she was basically interviewing me, <laughs> now that I'm realizing it. And she helped me realize that I need to be working with kids. So, so I said, that's it, you're right, you're right, you're right. And then I saw her a second time, which was me and my wife's first date. We were walking down a busy street, St. Denis Street, Montreal. It was the Comedy Fest. Tons of people there. And there's this girl again. So so two, and then, you know, still with my wife. You know, it's been 19 years that we're dating now. It's crazy. And working with kids since that, you know, that she sparked that, made me realize that I should be doing that. So, so yeah, it's, it's a very altruistic job. I think it's a very good for the rock star side of me, come back from a tour. There, there's been this time, this is a very humbling moment where I played uh, Montebello Rock Fest. It's been rumored to have had 100,000 people there. I played in between Marilyn Manson and Alice Cooper. And then Monday I was at work washing the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so there's this humbling moment. And, and there's something very nice and, and altruistic to show up to a job that they need you and that they don't care who you are at all. So, so that's something that I think is very important and has kept my balance, my ego in check after some, some good tours or some good shows or some good praise. Um, it's very, yeah, it's, it's something I've always liked and I still work with kids today. And me and my wife, we just uh, released our second children's book. Um, it's uh, a pandemic project. Uh, her and her friend, uh, Jeannie Bond, uh, Jeannie is an excellent illustrator, excellent, excellent. Uh, so they ha have been wanting to do a project for, for so, so long, talking about, they had worked together beforehand, loved working together, trying to start, they talked about starting a podcast. Um, we went for a walk right at the beginning of the pandemic and this idea of, oh, we should do a children's book, because Jess has always wanted to rope me into doing a children's book. So we came up with this idea. Her and Jeannie basically handle most of the work. I was there as a collaborator. I helped make sure that it was uh, open enough that it could be used as an educational tool for parents and educators and uh, teachers if they wanted. Uh, something that, that fits into uh, my uh, my child care practices. So so that that's more how I collaborated on it. 
And uh, yeah, so we released uh, today. We're going to today. We're staying home uh, six or seven weeks after the pandemic struck. So like last April or early May, very quickly that one came out. And then we just released last week or two weeks ago. Sorry, um, Hidden Rainbow, which is the second installment of their their series of children's books and it's gorgeous that one it's really much more simple it's more about uh children uh, using art as a way to express their emotions which is something that is useful for you know even adults it's very hard to to say how you feel but you can use art you know i can scream it in a death metal song that i'm upset uh, we can paint something we can do interpretive dance it's always easier to to use art to express ourselves than actually saying it. So it's even harder for a kid that doesn't even have the words. So the, this book can be used to express that. And it's uh, basically the story of here in, in North America, we had the whole rainbow movement where kids and families were, were painting rainbows and sticking them on their windows at the beginning of the pandemic. And the story sort of revolves around that. So uh, just came out very cool. You can get that at Mycelia Media online and uh, you should order something. They're beautiful books. I love it, man, and um, definitely check out those books. Today We're Staying Home and Hidden Rainbow, and also um, as someone who works in disability, seeing another metalhead or knowing someone that's kind of in the same kind of sector uh, warms my heart because the kind of work you do, um, you don't do it for being rewarded, but I don't think people understand that it's not an easy job. Um, it can be, <laughs> can be difficult, man. It can be very difficult. Now, Matt, before I let you go... You ain't getting away without the final segment. Everyone's had this. This is called Pick Your Poison. Dez of Coal Coal Chamber, Devil Driver's had it. Trevor of Black Dahlia's had it. All the people have had it. And you have to have it as well. Now, pick your poison. I'll give you two options. You pick your favourite of the two. You don't have to justify your answer, but if you are worried that your answer is going to get you in some hot water, you can justify your answer. Okay. Fur. Pizza or burger? Um, I'm a vegan, so this is a, a tough one. <laughs> um, I really, really like pizza, uh, but I think it would be easier to get a, a good veggie burger versus a versus a vegan pizza. So I'll, I'll go burger. Okay, so all these food ones will be vegan. Um, <laughs> Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Chinese. I, I eat a lot, a lot of Chinese food on tour. Smooth because pe- it's easy, easy to get vegan. Yeah. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter. Oh, in the house we use smooth, but that's for the kids. I do prefer crunchy though. Okay. Uh, taco or nacho? Nacho. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Now, everyone else gets the next question, but I don't even see the point in it. It's usually beer and whiskey, so I'm just going to say beer or beer. Beer. (laughs) (laughs) Craft beer. (laughs) Um, Would you rather have a meal at home or dine out at a restaurant? I cook a lot, so I'd rather have a meal at home. Movie at the cinema or wait to watch it on the couch at home? Watch it at the couch at home with my craft beer. It also means you can pause it and go to the toilet. I mean, that's the advantage of that. Which, which, yes, you, you know me, so yes. <laughs> lots, of, lots of mat breaks go on. Um, now, the next one's interesting because, you know, you live in Canada, but would you rather spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow? 
I know I like the beach more. I, I don't dislike the snow, but I'm not a person that goes skiing. I, I'm not into that. I'd much rather sit there, drink some crap beer, <laughs> and put my feet in the sand. 100%. I think everyone can guess. He, he likes craft beer. Yeah, I think we can guess. We can guess <laughs> a, <that>. lot. <laughs> a lot. A <laughs> lot. Um, cat person or dog person? Dog. Yeah, no, I, I grew up with both, but definitely a dog, but I don't want one. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, we've got three and it's chaos. Um, Hulk Hogan or Ultimate Warrior? As a kid, Ultimate Warrior. Uh as I grew up and I heard all the stories that he wasn't the nicest wrestler to wrestle with, I'd have to go Hulk Hogan. But then Hulk Hogan's not cool anymore. Mm. Hulk, Hogan's, Hulk Hogan's out again, so, so I, I not, neither. Okay, yeah. Um, Randy Savage or Mr. Perfect? Savage, Randy Savage. Okay. And the next one uh, is a more current one. Rollins or Reigns? Oh, see, I'm not that... I I I more of like an early '90s wrestling fan, so uh, I think. But I've watched uh, WrestleMania on tour with my bassist Ollie, so I'm gonna say Reigns. Okay, and last wrestling one before we switch to some music and movie ones is Triple H or HBK. Triple H, yeah. much more metal. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars, hundred percent. South Park or Simpsons? South Park. Freddy or Jason? Mm. Freddy's cooler, but as a kid, I was terrified of Jason more. Okay. But I think Freddy's a cooler villain. Smarter um, villain, at least. Rambo or Rocky? Oh, that's hard. Oh, that's really hard, that one. I'm going to have to go with Rocky. Okay. Because he's got more heart, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 but no. No, I'm just thinking of that. that that's... There was one Rambo where it was a bit more dumbed down. But the first Rambo was really full of heart, actually. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's a hard one. Nothing beats a Rocky montage. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> nothing beats a Rocky montage. Great. Yes. Um, and I played I played Philadelphia and I ran. Oh, you went up the steps? From the venue. From the venue to the, the steps and back. Oh, love it. Now, this probably will be a bit easier. They're music ones that we just couple of them slayer or pantera mm, people are gonna hate this for pantera okay dying fetus or death death cannibal corpse or black dahlia murder cannibal corpse metallica or megadeth mm. i don't know dude. me in the car wouldn't have happened without metallica so i gotta go there dimu or behemoth Another hard one. Uh, Behemoth, I, I think they're they're cooler. Okay. Um, Slipknot or Machine Head? Slipknot. Okay. And the last few. Now, you know, th this one I don't necessarily think it probably happens at a Cryptopsy show, but let's imagine they do. Would you rather stage dives happening or mic grabs happening? Oh, like someone taking my microphone? I don't want them to touch my microphone. So, so stage diving. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think people realize... I don't think it's going to happen anymore after any... No, but not only that, but you think about a, a mic grab, they hand the mic out and it comes back to them covered in sweat and spit. Like, it's yeah, not really... Yeah, that's done then. Never no. happening again. No. Um, you go to a show, are you going to watch it from the sound desk or from the pit? 
Oh, I'm in pit retirement. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I typically stand right in front of the SAP desk, though. Yeah. Now, second last... It's a side stage spot, honestly, though. That's the real answer. Now, the second last one, you technically can't have one without the other. But let's imagine that they exist in their own. Would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record for the rest of your life? Mm. I'd much rather be on stage than in the studio. So... And the last one is the only triple one. I'm going to give you your all-time favorite album, and the way I give it to you is the only way you can consume it for the rest of your life. Do you want it on CD, vinyl, or phone? A phone, I think, because I'll take it wherever I go. Yeah, nobody nobody has really a CD player in their car anymore, and I don't know anyone that carries a vinyl player in their backpack. <laughs> right. It's a bit weird. Um, Matt... First thing, a lot of love, a lot of respect, and a lot of appreciation for you um, and for you giving your time to me. We ran a little bit over an hour, but I was just in the moment, loving it, appreciating it. Um, thank you. Like, you know, it, it's for me as a Aussie podcast show, it can be very hard getting guests um, to get someone of your notice notoriety is probably the word i'm looking for is a big tick for me um so means the world for me um so just thank you man well thank you for having me and uh that's very very nice of you to say and uh i i truly appreciate being here it was an excellent excellent chat um lots of fun yeah thank you yeah forever grateful no for this. perfect very 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 fun thank you so much bye bye-bye
So that was my chat with Matt of Cryptopsy and also of Vox and Hops podcast. At the end there, you heard the band's track, Silence Your Tyrants. The second track was Leech. Both of those are from the band's album, The Unspoken King. The third and fourth tracks were titled Damned, Draft, Dodgers and Cleansing the Hosts. Both of those are from the band's self-titled album. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the music or you enjoyed the conversation at the end there, now's your chance. Jump online, consume that discography. If you're into physicals, you can get a CD or a vinyl online. And lastly, if you're into merch, make sure you cop yourself a shirt, a hoodie or some shorts. Now also, while we're at it, Make sure you go and scope out the Vox and Hops podcast. So after you're done with this episode, make sure you check out one of Matt's episodes. Now I need to take this moment to thank Matt again. Thank you so very, very, very much dude for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to touching base with you again soon. Let's definitely smash out a part two. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 156, done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that We need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.